stable one. Um, well, I'm, I'm really glad to be with you guys here tonight. Like, um, like I said, my name's Elliot. Uh, a little bit about me before I um, dive in. Who is this guy? Why is he um, talking to us tonight? Um, I uh, do ministry down in um, Orange County in Huntington Beach, just a little bit south of here. That's where I've been for quite a while. A little background on me so you can kind of get to know me as well. Um, I grew up and went to college in a land far, far away. Um, I went to the University of Oklahoma. I don't know if you guys have heard of Oklahoma. It is in the United States. You know, we speak English there. Actually, I got that question when I moved to Huntington. Somebody said, wow, your English is so good. <laughs> and um, so after I graduated, I moved to um, Huntington Beach, um, just started working, getting involved in a church there, Seabreeze Church, um, kind of getting plugged into that ministry. And then I met my wife there. My wife's name is Allie. Um, I think we got a picture of our um, family. Yeah, there we go. This was our uh, Christmas photo booth photo. So I've got a, we, you know, we got married and then um, started having kids pretty quick. We've got a little boy, Cohen. Um, he's not looking at it, anything there, but um, he's five months old. He's awesome. He's like, if I'm, I'm really tall, but I'm really skinny. Cohen is massive. He is a hundredth percentile in everything, height, weight, everything. Um, head size, and so we don't really know, like, he looks like us, so we know he's our kid, but we're like, this kid is huge, like, there's no way. Um, and then I've got this little girl here, uh, her name's Olivia, and she's a ton of fun. She's, um, she's two years old, um, she just turned two in January, um, and she's at this really fun age where her personality is coming out more and more. And um, with Olivia, what's, what's interesting, I'm going to step in front of all the cords here, um, one of the things that we noticed with her really quickly, before she started to learn language that well and really get a good grasp of it and be able to communicate with us, uh, she could understand. And so we would tell her to go do something, and she would go do it. So we would say, Olivia, we're going to go to the park. Go get your socks and your shoes. So she would run to her room, and she would come out with a pair of socks and a pair of shoes. And what was impressive was she didn't just come out with like a matching pair of socks. like She got the colors right. But her socks and her shoes color-coordinated with whatever her outfit was. And this was like, what? Like, at first we thought, this is just coincidental. And then it was like, you know, we would put her in a weird outfit to test her and see, okay, like, you know, does she know that these colors clash? And she would come out with the right stuff. So then it became like kind of a party trick, honestly. Like, when you get, you know, like early 30s and you have kids and you have friends over, you don't know what to do with them. So you're just like, oh, hey, watch my kid do this really weird thing. So, so you'd be like, hey, go get some socks and shoes. And boom, she'd come out of the room, you know, all proud of herself and... So we kind of realized she's got this unique fashion sense. And um, then kind of what's happened is as she's grown and developed and she's got even more and more personality. This actually was a picture we took last week in the rain. Yeah, this is amazing. I mean, if you, if you pay attention, uh, on her forehead, she picked out a sticker of a lemon. I guess she figured that was kind of like the theme color and put it on her forehead. It matches her glasses. It matches her leggings. That's not the pink frill there. That's a skirt under a dress. I mean, talk about like fashion forward. And then the glasses, the glasses, no joke. When we went outside with the glasses, she, she had to have them. Like I, I was like, no, like they don't fit you. They're going to fall off your head. So I took them away from her. She was just like, no, daddy, like give me the glasses back. They're part of the outfit. And so I was like, okay. So I gave her the glasses. And for the, for the duration, the whole time she had them on, 
she was holding him on like this. So she's just like walking down the street, really intense. I was like, you belong in LA. Like you don't belong in Orange County. You need to head north and get plugged in with fashion and all that stuff. Um, but she's a ton of fun. We have a lot of fun with her. Um, but one of the things she's also doing right now, which is really cool, is she's getting a better grasp of language. She's learning how to communicate more and more. And there's, there's parts of language um, I've, I've, I've taken, I'm, I've never been fluent in anything other than English, but I've, you know, you've got to take Spanish in high school, and I've taken some other languages, and so I, I don't have, like, a great grasp of language, but I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on it, but there were some things I didn't realize how challenging they were. One is pronouns. I didn't realize that a pronoun would be so difficult um, for somebody to comprehend and then properly use, but she's grasped that really quickly, and it's been amazing. I mean, a lot of kids... You know, they'll kind of think that you, you are you, I am you, the tree is you, and so they'll just kind of associate everything with that pronoun. But she's been able to say, like, I am Olivia, you are daddy, he is, and it's been, like, mind-boggling to watch her do this. And part of her doing this is she's also learned the personal possessive pronouns, the my, the mine. And so what's happened with that... You see where this is going. Um, in the apartment complex we live in, there's this, there, all the apartments are kind of built around a shared courtyard. And there's a lot of other families that live in this, uh, kind of this area where we live. So there's a lot of little kids. And we have kind of this like community toy bin, you could call it, a chest or whatever. And all the houses have contributed some toys and some chalk and whatever over the time that we've been there. And so the kids will go outside and pull from it and play with it. And Olivia will go out there, and she'll pull something out of there, and she uses one of these personal possessive pronouns. And it's not like an observation. She's, just, she's not like, oh, wow, this is my chalk. I didn't know that this was here. She's like, my chalk. And then whatever kid is close, I swear, like she's, she doesn't really understand football. I've tried to help her. But she, she acts like she's like an SC running back where she'll like stiff arm her. Seriously, it's like, my chalk, and give him this look, and then, like, move away as fast as she can. And my wife and I are kind of horrified by this, because I want our neighbors to like us and hang out with us, and they did like us when she was doing the party tricks with the clothes, but now it's like, your kid has got some selfishness issues and some other... And what's interesting about this with my little girl is we didn't teach her that behavior. I didn't have to teach her to stiff-arm another kid and say, this is my stroller, and I'm even like, where did she get that voice from? Like, it's a different voice even. But I do have to teach her to say thank you. Like, I, I didn't have to teach my kid to be selfish and to say, this is what I deserve in life and this is how I expect to be treated. But I do have to teach my kid to share and I have to teach my kid how to be grateful for what she has. And tonight, as we kind of dive into this topic of gratitude, I think that's really similar to us. I think what comes natural to us is not gratitude, but actually the opposite of it. And so if we're going to be people who we genuinely display gratitude from our heart, then there are some big changes, some fundamental changes that are going to have to take place within us in order for this to take place. So I've kind of got two questions that I want to explore tonight um, having to do with uh, gratitude. And the first one is, why have a heart of gratitude? I mean, why, why does this even matter? Why should we have a heart of gratitude? I mean, I think if you went outside and we did a poll of just random students on campus, went up to them and said, hey, should, should people be grateful? 
Should people be thankful in life? I think 100% of people would probably say, you might, you might get the one or two that are, you know, kind of the, you know, against whatever is going on, whatever it is, but the majority would say, yes, you should be grateful. Yes, you should be thankful. But then the question is like, well, why? And what's interesting in society, and they, they can actually track this, there are measurements for this, gratitude and thankfulness are actually on a decline in our culture. They're actually the, the, um, the things that they would track that would indicate if somebody is grateful, actually they're declining in our culture. They're, they're appearing less and less frequently than they did in the past. And so in our culture, gratitude isn't as big of a deal as it is. And so I think one of the reasons that people might say, yes, you should be grateful, but gratitude is kind of, you know, becoming a thing of the past is part of it is uh, what we attach our gratitude to. And so I've, I've kind of got a couple slides, and I kind of want to explain this. A lot of, a lot of times, um, we've kind of got this I deserve. So we all have things in our brain, and you could change it, you know, I'm... I'm entitled to, I should receive this kind of treatment, this is what I want. Um, those might be some kind of synonym phrases, but I deserve, and then, you know, you fill in the blank. But then there's this line. It's kind of like, I deserve this. But then we have circumstances, we have life happens, and if life is below what we think we deserve, then the gap between those two is disappointment. Or you could use other words, it could be anger, um, it could be frustration, it could be depression. Again, you can, you can fill in a lot of different words there, but we're actually seeing these on the rise because for a lot of people, what they have this sense of, I deserve this, is above what their experience in life is. But then there's this weird connection because if you move the I deserve below circumstances, then the gap between what I think I deserve or what I want or what I'm entitled to, if I'm getting above that, then that gap is gratitude. So it might work like this. If life is really working out in your favor and amazing things are happening to you and you're sitting there going like, wow, this is better than I ever imagined, well then your social media feed probably has a lot of pictures of you and there's hashtags like blessed and thankful and grateful and all these other things. But if you flip it upside down and I expect this out of life, I deserve this out of life, but then the circumstances are below that, you're probably not going to post as much on social media and you're probably going to struggle with people that do post a lot on social media. Gratitude isn't going to be a thing that you express because what you deserve is higher than what you're experiencing. So then there's that gap. The problem with, then this is how most of us operate. The problem with this is circumstances are not a straight line. Circumstances are like a roller coaster. This is how life is. Life, life has peaks and life has valleys. And so if we're attaching our gratitude to circumstances and thinking, well, you know, maybe if I just have a little lower expectations, well, then I'll be a more grateful person. Or if I can just lower what I think I deserve, well, then I'll be a more grateful person. But again, the problem with that is, is that anybody, you don't have to live very long. My, my little girl, in the two years she's been alive, she's lived long enough to know that the circumstances, and I mean, sometimes there's ice cream, and sometimes there's not ice cream, okay? And then sometimes there's special treats and chocolate, and then sometimes there's not special. And so what, what happens? Her, she just kind of goes on this roller coaster, and her emotions and behavior follow that. That's how a lot of people live. But as Christians, when we talk about, like, why should we be grateful, for us, it's a little different. And there's this verse, 
uh, that points to this. Romans 6.23. Maybe some of you guys have seen this verse before. This verse, actually, what's interesting is those songs that we sing, if you think back through them, a lot of the songs build off of the ideas in this verse. But the verse says this, Romans 6.23. says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I, I know you guys are college students, but who in here has a job? Who has a job? Okay, cool. Who gets paid to do that job? I'm not going to report you to like the state board or whatever, but you should. I think in the state of California, I think it's illegal not to. Um, you get paid. That's, that's a wage. That's an agreed upon amount by your employer that you get for completing a task. You go to work, you either do a certain job or you work a certain number of hours, and it's agreed upon. If I do this, then the wage, what I get in return, is this. So what this verse is saying when it says, for the wages of sin is death, what it's saying is there's an action. The action is sin. And there is an outcome attached to that, and that's death. And I'll, I'll just be real honest with you. This is, I think for good reason, this is maybe the least, well, it is, the least popular idea in the Bible to talk about. I mean, I'll be honest, even me, I mean, just thinking about coming here tonight and explaining an idea like this, it's like, I, I, out of everything that I could talk about tonight, that's not necessarily number one on my list, but the reality is our gratitude is always going to be out of whack unless we understand this. Um, let me give you, just kind of ex- explain what these words are real quick. So sin, I don't have a definition on the screen. Um, sin is rebellion against God. That's what sin is. Sin is um, going against what God says. When a person sins, they're actually working against God. So there's all kinds of different actions and behaviors and things that we can do, but it's stuff that's outside of what God instructs and outside of the way that God wants us to live. That's what, that's what sin is. And it's not very hard to think about or point to examples of what sin might be. And then death, when this verse talks about death, again, this is not a... This is not one of those like heartwarming ideas. Uh, death is not just physical death, like we're all going to experience that, but it's, um, it's separation from God. It's eternity without the presence of God. And another word the Bible uses, again, a, a very unpopular word that a lot of people would like to see just wiped off the pages of the Bible is the word hell. It's a word that's used to describe the experience of eternity without God. And like I said, this is, this is not one of those topics that's just like, you don't, you don't read a verse like this, the wages of sin is death, everybody's sinned, I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned, so we're all guilty of death and think like, whoa, isn't that great? So what does that have to do with gratitude? Well, it has to do with gratitude because of the second part of the verse. That's what, what the first part of the verse has just described is what we actually deserve. See, we, we think we deserve you know, something kind of up here, but the verse is kind of resetting our orientation and saying, no, actually, like, because of what we've done, what we deserve is way, way, way further down than what we thought. So then here's the source of the gratitude. The second part of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. A gift is something that's free. It's not like a wage where you work for it. A gift is something that's given freely. The gift is from God, and the gift is, when it says eternal life, it's not just saying, you know, heaven. You just kind of have, you exist here in mediocrity, and then 
boom, suddenly heaven is just this amazing experience. But the idea of eternal life is that it starts now, and life, the, the flavor life has to it starts to grow and, and change over time, and then it's realized in perfection in heaven. That's what eternal life is. It's something that actually we get to start to experience now, and then we realize in perfection for all of eternity. That's the gift. But the gift is found in Christ, only in Christ. There's a, there's a limit. It's not just saying, hey, this is a blank general gift. It's saying, just like those songs that we sang again a minute ago, when we choose to put our faith in Christ, that's when we receive this gift. And the reason I'm going through this, and again, this is a very central idea to the Bible, but the reason I'm going through this is because if we don't understand this, our, genera- or our gratitude will always be off base. Because we can attach our gratitude to other things, but if we don't understand, like, no, this is who I am, and this is what I've done, but this is what God's done for me, then we're never going to have the type of gratitude that the Bible talks about. It kind of works like this. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this happen to your phone screen. Um, Some of you guys might have had this on your phone screen. Um, Maybe you get a new app, or you open the Maps app, or something like that, and it says Calibrate. Well, when you go back to this message, this verse we just read, that this is who I am, this is what I deserve, but this is what God has done, really that's recalibrating yourself so that you can be aligned properly the way that the Bible says. See, gratitude in a lot of ways, it's an issue of perspective. When your compass on your phone calibrates, I mean, I'm not a, you know, I'm not like a phone techie guy. I I barely even know how to use my phone, and I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to try to get into all the complexities, but in simple layman's terms, which is what I am, um, what, what the calibration is, is it's fixing based on reality. It's saying, okay, like, we kind of have to orient ourselves on, okay, what's reality again? What's north? What's south? What's east? What's west? Okay, now that we've figured that out, we can move forward. It's the exact same thing in our lives. When it comes to moving forward, when it comes to having gratitude, we have to go back to this idea of, hey, this is, this is what I've done. This is what the Bible says about me. And then based on that, this is what God's done for me. And when we understand that, our gratitude can really grow. So that's why I have gratitude. Why I have gratitude? The answer to that, because of what God has done for us. The second question, so that's why I have gratitude. That's something you're going to have to constantly remind yourself of as you move forward in life. The second question is, um, how do you develop a heart of gratitude? So I know that, I know that the Bible says that I'm deserving of this, but God has given me this, and that's the source of my gratitude. That's why I should have a heart of gratitude. But how do I develop that? Now, um, one of my friends, a good friend of mine, he's a big fitness guy. Do we have any people that like, any, okay. No, I'm not gonna do that. That would shame some people. I'm not gonna ask you like how many times a week you work out or whatever. He's a five days a week kind of guy. Um, He goes to this gym. It's, I don't know if it, it's probably about $200 a month. It's one of those gyms where you go to it, you don't work out alone. It's not like you walk in, you know, everybody's got their headphones in, you kind of find your treadmill or find your free weights or whatever you feel comfortable doing. Um, you come in and it's a, it's a fitness class with an instructor, it's small, it's intense, and he just loves it. He goes, he goes at 5 a.m., I'm not even awake. Unless, the only reason I would be awake at 5 is if my kids are awake. But he gets up at 5 every day and goes to this fitness class. So he was telling me about the gym and they do this, uh, they do a fitness test there. And I guess it's like part of a bigger thing. It's like eight levels of testing. And so like they've got level one, level two, all the way up to level eight, which is like the top. And he was like, he's training specifically to be a level three. 
because he wants to pass that. So I was like, well, what are the different levels? And he's like, well, level one, it's like anybody could do level one. It's like super easy. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I can run a couple miles. I can do a few push-ups. I can do a few pull-ups. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in shape, right? So I was like, well, what is level one? I'm thinking like 100 jumping jacks, right? He starts to describe this level one. It's not a workout. It's a test. You have to do a certain amount of things in a certain amount of time. It's insane. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. And I'm like, I'm not even a level one. I thought I was in shape here, and I'm not even a level one. When it comes to how do you develop a heart of gratitude, it's very similar to how you physically get in shape. You have to take repeated action over and over and over. If I want to become a level one, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't even want to, I mean, if at that gym, level one is embarrassing. Let's just be honest. It's kind of a pretentious gym. I mean, they pay $200 to work, like have people yell at them. Like, you know, so it's like, if you're a level one, it's like, nah, dude, like, I would have to train to even get into the gym. Let's just call it what it is, okay? I don't even know where I'm going right now with this, but you have to, when it comes to our gratitude, there's repeated action we have to take. Just like, like I said, with physical fitness, there's specific stuff that we have to do. And so I want to look at this. I want to answer this question. So what is the repeated action that we can take if we're going to have, if we're going to develop a heart of gratitude? So there's a story in um, the book of Luke that I want to look at. And in this, uh, in the New Testament, the book of Luke, it's a biography about the life of Jesus and there's a story written about an encounter that Jesus had with 10 men. The men um, had a disease of the day. The disease was called leprosy. And what leprosy was is um, it was kind of the dreaded disease. Maybe it would be similar to uh, in today's world when somebody finds out they have cancer or you find out that a loved one or a family member has cancer. That's just so heavy. I mean, to just think like, oh, no, it's cancer. That might have been what it was like to get leprosy in Jesus' day. When you found out that somebody was a leper, it was like, oh, no, that is, that is like the worst thing that could have happened. Because with leprosy, um, there wasn't a known cure. The skin would start to rot away. You, you're, you would literally, your body would just decay. Um, it was a highly contagious disease. Because it was highly contagious, they would send the people out of the villages and the towns, and they would start what was called leper colonies. Any, any Hawaiians in the room? Anybody like, lo I love Hawaii. I'm not Hawaiian. I'd love to be Hawaiian. Uh, the island of Molokai was actually a leper colony. You know, little, little known fact. There you go. You might win a trivia challenge someday with that one. But um, they would have these leper colonies. They're away from society. People would, when they got the disease, they would go and they would live there and they would really just wait to die. And because the disease was so contagious, if somebody who didn't have leprosy was approaching and walking up to the leper colony, the lepers would have to yell out a warning and say, you're approaching a leper colony. Don't come any closer. You don't want to get this disease. And so they were really sequestered. And um, maybe something that we could compare it to um, up in San Francisco, there's the prison that's on um, the Alcatraz, which is in the bay there. And this prison, I, I'm sure it's a very famous one. Some of you might have seen it. You've gone and done tours of it. Um, there's a movie about it called The Rock. Um, but this prison, one of the things that they said about it was one of the worst parts, the prisoners would say this, one of the worst parts about being in this prison was how close it was to the city. Because they would be in their cells at night. It wasn't just being in a cell on your own. They would be in the cells at night, and they could see the lights of the city. 
and they could hear the sounds. So they could hear all this activity going on in the city of San Francisco, people out and about having fun, but they're stuck in this hole, and they can't do anything about it. And it would increase this sense of isolation, and they talked about how some of the prisoners would go mad because they were so close to society, but they couldn't be a part of it. I think that's probably what it would have been like if you were in a leper colony. You were just outside the city, you could smell the smells, you could hear the sounds, you could see the people coming and going, but because you had this disease, you couldn't be a part of it. So that's kind of what it's setting the background for these um, men that Jesus encounters. So this is what it says, Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. It's up on the screen so you guys can follow along with me. It says, now on his way, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Had no one, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, this is a really interesting story. You would imagine that all ten of these men, as they're walking, would have experienced a feeling of gratitude. How could you not live the existence that they had just lived, experience this physical transformation, and not experience a feeling of gratitude. When it, becomes, when it comes to developing a heart of gratitude, it's not just about the feeling, but it's actually taking that and expressing it. That's what really changes us. So there's only one of the men that does that. So what does he do? Here are the actions that will develop a heart of gratitude. The first thing that the man does is he stops. I mean, you can just imagine in this scene, 10 guys, it says that when Jesus healed them, it's not instant. He says, go show yourselves to the priest, and then it says, on the way healed. So you can imagine, these ten guys, they're sitting there, they've just talked to Jesus, you know, Jesus, heal us. He says, okay, go show yourselves to the priest. They're probably walking, and they're like, okay, like, we're still disease-ridden and highly contagious, like, we're supposed to go to the city? And they're going, and then probably one of them is like, oh my gosh, my... And then the other one is like, takes the bandages off, and he's like, my hand! And then they realize you can only imagine that what, that what was a walk becomes a sprint really quickly. As they realize that our future is completely changed. Our future is completely different than what it would have otherwise been if we would have had leprosy for the rest of our lives. And so then they start sprinting towards the city. But one of them, instead of sprinting off into this future, he stops. And I don't even know if the other one's noticed. I mean, it doesn't say anything about it, but I, I wonder, I wondered, well, would they would have noticed and been like, what are you doing? Come on. Or would they have just been like, you know what? Fine. If you want to go back to that, you go back to that. But I'm, I'm going after this. But what does he do? He, he probably stops and he goes, okay, what happened? I encountered Jesus. Well, what happened as a result of encountering Jesus? I'm healed. I don't have leprosy anymore. Well, what does that mean for me that I don't have leprosy anymore? Well, that means that I can go into the city. I probably have family in the city. That means I can see my family. That means that I can, I can hug people again. That means that I can get a job. That means that my life will never be the same again. But instead of running off into his future, he stops and turns around 
and he goes back to Jesus. That is one of the repeated actions of a person who really understands gratitude. Over and over in their life, they're going to stop, for whatever reason, maybe planned, maybe unplanned, and they're going to say, what got me here? What gave me this opportunity? What, what got me into this school? Who helped me understand this? How was I blessed? And then they say, oh, this guy helped me along the way. This girl did something that benefited me. My parents did something. God did something. And then they're going to go back, and they're going to express gratitude. The first action is somebody that expresses gratitude is stopping. The second action that we see in this man of somebody that expresses gratitude is they respond. He responds. He doesn't just stop and think, but he actually goes back, and it's the first way that he responds is it's a verbal response. It says that he praised God with a loud voice. It says he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. He didn't just walk back to Jesus and go like, hey, Jesus, thanks. Or he didn't just like walk over the hill to where he could see Jesus and say, thanks, man, and then bail. No, he went and praising, I-N-G, that means repeated, right? He's sitting there making a scene about this. I mean, this was a big deal to him. There were all kinds of words that he expressed. That's one of the things we do. We, through life, we stop, we realize, hey, this, this, I wouldn't have been here if this wouldn't have happened. So we go back, and part of the response is actually opening our mouth and getting specific and saying, hey, you did this for me. It blessed me in this way. It benefited me in this way. It helped me in this way. I really appreciate that. Thanks for that. As we do that over and over again, what we're doing is we're developing a heart of gratitude. Another thing that a person who's developing a heart of gratitude under this response is one of the things they do is they serve and they give. It's another thing. It's not just, it's not just our mouth, but actually our, our bodies physically get involved. We physically take action. We use our time. We, we use our money. We give our money because of what's happened. I mean, in this story... This isn't spelled out here, but it's interesting because uh, the custom in this day, in this period of time, when somebody was healed of leprosy, um, we find this in another situation, but they would go to the temple and they would give a gift. Actually, I think it's Matthew 8, 4. And Jesus interacts with another man who had leprosy, and he tells him, he says, go to the temple and give the gift that you were supposed to give according to Moses. And he says, do this as a testimony. And what's interesting is, the question is then, well, as a testimony, a testimony to who? What's the testimony for? Well, a testimony is a statement about reality. You're saying, a testimony is saying, hey, this is true, this is what happened. So, So somebody's going and they're giving this gift to God, and what they're saying is, God healed me. That really happened. And that means a ton to me. And so I'm going to take what I have, and I'm going to give it back. I'm going to contribute in some way. People that have Again, that understand, hey, like, this is, this is what I deserve, like we looked at in the Romans verse, and this is what God's done for me. That's the basis for gratitude. But then how we develop that into our life so that becomes part of our character. It's just like somebody lifting weights. We take repeated action, and that action is going to require us to stop from time to time, think about it, what happened. And then we're going to have to go back. We're going to have to open our mouth. We're going to have to serve. We're going to have to give of something that we have. Maybe it's our time, maybe it's our money. And that's how that gratitude moves from just a feeling. Lots of people feel gratitude, but not very many people express it. Not very many people, when you look at them, you say, wow, that's somebody who really understands gratitude, and they show their gratitude. 
But somebody who's going to do that is, again, somebody who, who actually goes through these practices over and over again. I'm going to plug this real quick. I know that this isn't part of my talk, but you guys have this trip coming up. Uh, break at the lake, right? Yeah. For me, in my, um, the university I was a part of, I had a great college ministry, a good way to practice this talk is to sit down and make a gratitude list. You sit down, you think about, hey, what has God done for me? Who are the people that have helped me along the way? How could I say thank you? What could I do? That trip, to me, when I think back on what God has done, I think back of similar trips, those were some of the best trips I went on for God speaking to me clearly and changing my life. So on my gratitude list, we called our, we didn't call ours Break of the Lake, I forget what we called ours, Glorietta, right? It was kind of lame. But uh, it was like, you know, Glorietta is on my gratitude list, all over the place. You guys have a really cool opportunity not only to go to break at the lake, get away from school, your job, whatever. Maybe your phone won't work there. That'd be great. And then you could take more time to make these gratitude lists. But I wouldn't be surprised if something happened on your guys' trip. God spoke to you or did something to where you look back. I mean, I'm 31. I'm kind of old. You look back at 31 and you say, wow, like, God did something there. I'm really grateful that God did that. So that wasn't any part of my talk. I just kind of threw that in there. Neil, you can... You know, whatever. Hopefully people go because of that. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much all I have. Um, let me pray, and then the band's going to come up. we got some more songs. Father God, I um, thank you so much for this group. I thank you for um, the fact that in the heart of Los Angeles, at a great university like this, there are people called by your name, name who gather together regularly who participate in helping one another grow, participate in helping other people come to know who you are. I thank you that this is going on here. I thank you that these students get to be a part of it and that, Father, that I get to come and in some way be a part of it too. This is really amazing that you allow us to do this. But God, I do pray as we move forward, gratitude should be a mark of who we are as your followers. People people should look at us and there's something different. And one of the things that's different about us is that we understand the truth about us and we're grateful because of what you've done. So Father God, I pray for this group that you have here. I pray that that would be true. I pray that professors, roommates, coworkers, family, one of the distinguishing marks of this group is that this group, they don't just feel gratitude, but people know that they're grateful because it shows up in their actions. God, I thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.